Freight's Great Variety Show. It yeah, is. Good Monday afternoon, everybody from Freight Alley. It's a little cool in here today, man. Now, What's if you were at that, uh, if you were at that Lane Kiffin game, yeah, in yeah, yeah. Tennessee, the Lane Kiffin game <laughs> on yeah. Saturday, Which what is- would you have thrown on the field, and what do you think would have been the worst thing to get hit by? Uh, an Acme branded anvil. That would have, yeah, that would have been, <laughs> that bad. That been that bad. bad. Or you know, the mustard. The mustard, especially if it exploded. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it exploded, that would not have been good. Not good. At speaking at all. of violence, speaking of violence. Halloween Kills came out Friday. Don't know if you saw it. It was on Peacock Streaming. I love that, that you don't have to go to the movies anymore for some films. Haven't seen it yet, right? That's still with Jamie and James, right? The originals are it still is. battling it out. It is. I'll give you my quick review before we get into business here. If, uh, if you like the last one, the 2018 one, yeah. you're in luck. Uh, if you didn't like the Rob Zombie ones, doesn't matter. Nobody did. Um, it's a little, <laughs> it's not really suspenseful. A little bit more gory, a little bit more action-packed, even a little okay. bit more like fan-filmy. Like if you just oh. want to see like Michael Myers take out a fire department, that's your movie. Check it out. On oh, really? Okay. Yeah, right, absolutely. Cool. Cool. Evil dies tonight. <laughs> Let's tip the band before. <laughs> speaking of evil, demerge. We'll get to that. That'll die yeah, tonight, maybe. No, it won't. Let's tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell them, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show. All right. Now it's Lauren Began, principal and founder at Squall Strategy. She's joining us today because the FMC put out a notice last week. Kind of addressing detention and demerge. We'll get into it. Uh, Lauren, <laughs> how are you doing on this Monday? Oh, we got her muted. Let's bring her, uh, let's bring her volume up. There we are. <laughs> there we go. You're up. Hi, guys. Am I good now? You're yeah. good now. What's up? All right. <laughs> how are you? Great to see you. Happy Monday. Absolutely. You watch Halloween Kills over the weekend? I did not. I don't do scary. Sorry. Oh. All right. <laughs> well, you Maybe do scary. If you're a shipper, it's been a scary time, especially this scary sure Halloween. It has, man. Uh, demerge bills, detention bills. And I, like, I was just looking at Lars Jensen. He put out a, uh, another uh, report on the, the dwell time and the street dwell times. And we're getting up to uh, 13 days for street dwell time. For, uh, these demerge times are getting bad. So these bills are getting bad. So the government seems like they want to do something here. What are they doing, Lauren? Yeah, so, so you know, they had previously, so the Federal Maritime Commission, the independent regulatory body responsible for ensuring competitive and reliable international ocean transportation, basically all the ocean shipping, um, has been has been very active recently, and they've been really trying to dive in on this. Um, we've been seeing Chairman Maffei out there in the mass stream media, um, you know, he's been out there. Um, actually, the Long Beach executive director, Mario Cordero, used to be the chairman of the FMC. So he kind of has a little intel, um, you know, or, or a little insight, I should say, on, on kind of what the capabilities of the FMC are. So the FMC has been leaning in on this and just last week had their commission meeting. Um, and they actually came out with a, a at least a little update on the VOCC audit team. So the vessel owning um, Ocean Common Carrier's they're doing an audit, audit team within FMC. And so while they reported the findings in closed session, they actually released a, a press release that talked a little bit about it last week. Yeah. So w- w- what are they trying to get done here? As, as I'm watching this stuff, I, I mean, are they, they put out, hey, these are demerged charges. Even though it's not your fault, we're going to charge you X amount. Is that what they're trying to make clear? 
Yeah, well, so they're trying to jive in and, and try to clean it up a little bit because demurrage and detention, as we all know, even defining it is difficult. So yeah. coming at it without a clear definition. So what they're trying to do is where they can, they're the regulatory body, they're trying to make it a little bit more clear. So the the um, the audit team actually came out and said, we're, we're collecting all these best practices, but let's start with some easy stuff. So they outlined three different ways that they think, um, you know, the industry, particularly carriers, should be modeling best behavior. And so these are, one, clearly displaying detention and demurrage on their website, um, on their customer portals. Two, develop clear processes for uh, detention and demurrage, um, which is internal and both um letting the, the consumer know how their internal D&D processes are. Um, and then they also have a clear dispute resolution process on their website. So um, if there are, if there are complaints, if there are, if there is trouble with detention and demurrage charges, do they have a detention, a, a dispute resolution process, but also do you even know how to start it? And that's the piece that I think has really been missing from the industry. Where, who do you call when you're having trouble with detention and demurrage in the actual company that you're having the trouble with? So it's a step forward, but it's like, you know, it's like the fine print that gets put in a terms of service, right? So now they have to list this stuff out or the drug side effects, that kind of that kind of thing. I mean, the, the thing is, like, they can put all this stuff out, but you still have to accept it. Like, if you still want the, if you still want the, the container to move, uh, you have to accept these charges. Uh, traditionally, you know, they're used to increase bottom lines, but the, the concept of them is so you don't just use um, the container yard as a warehouse, right? So if you waive detention and demerge like some people want, how do you keep it so the bad actors don't just go, okay, we'll just get our containers whenever? Because we certainly don't want that. Well, so I don't know if you can waive demerge. Um, you know, that that's going to be tough because there is still probably a cost for that container taking up space on the yard. I mean, it's rent, you know? So, so getting rid of it totally, I don't know if I'm fully on board with that. But the FMC keeps coming out and saying they believe that demerge and detention should be used for incentivization of movement of cargo. And so... By, get, by having it there, let's just make it what it actually is supposed to be. It really is supposed to be scooting the cargo off the yard, scooting the containers back so that they can get back in service. Don't just use these empty, you know, don't just use these containers as just this unlimited warehousing feature. So the FMC, you know, how do we make sure that the, the carriers and, and any of the players in this world of D&D are, are following the rules? The FMC is the regulatory body. And so filing complaints with the FMC, if after this audit, um, you know, if this turns into a real rulemaking, where now all of a sudden it is a codified rule, it is a regulation, it's something that people have to follow, following up with the FMC, staying in touch with the FMC if you're having problems. Um, but first, you know, using the, the dispute resolution, using the, they're trying to create this system where you can go directly to the company. And then from there, if you're still having a problem, go to the FMC. And like I said, this is really for incentivizing the cargo. But we're seeing on the West Coast, it's not just the ports, it's not just the carriers, it's the entire supply chain chain. It's all the pieces. And so that's why there's been a lot of calls for, you were talking about Lars Jensen, there's been a lot of calls for people to help help facilitate you know, better practices within the rest of the industry. So that's including the truckers. That's including the rail system. That's including the warehousing. Let's make sure that we're finding ways, whether that's funding, whether that's just you know, more of the regulators getting involved, maybe, you know, maybe that's not always the answer, but, but trying to find a way to make sure that the entire system is working together. It's one thing to have the 24 seven at the port, but you know, you're just pushing the, the, the choke point further down the system. So we got to make sure that it's free flowing all the way through. Yeah, exactly. So Lauren, uh, tell me this, the uh, Biden administration nominated Ann Phillips, 
uh, of the U.S. administration for, or you know, as director for the Department of Transportation there in, Amer in the uh, Maritime Administration. What do you think about that appointment? Yeah, so Anne comes um, comes with some experience in Navy. She has some um, climate change, um, you know, environmental practice experience. She she has a really impressive um, background. You know, the the interesting piece that I've heard some people talk about is. Does she have shipping background? I haven't seen much, but I, I don't know her personally. Um, I'm interested to see her rise to the occasion. And remember, it's just a nomination. So a lot of these questions will probably come up during her nomination. Um, I can imagine that the senators are going to be asking what experience she does have with supply chain, what solutions she does have. Um, you know, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, has been taking a little bit of heat recently. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's where there's remember, there's two different agencies. So there's the Federal Maritime Commission, which is the regulatory agency for kind of the, the, the shipping world that we're talking about. And then there's MARAD, Maritime Administration. And that's where Anne has been nominated for. And they tend to be a little bit more promotional of the um, U.S. system. So, you know, while, while they do have they do have a piece in the international shipping piece, um, they're kind of two. They're sister agencies that work together. And so I think FMC is going to have a lot more direct responsibility over this issue. Um, but Merit is certainly, you know, it's a it's piece of the political arm. FMC is independent regulatory. Merit is one of the, um, you know, under the cabinet agencies. So Merit is part of the administration. So I think that it's going to be interesting to watch that nomination, um, certainly to watch people get it wrong, um, <laughs> you know, and, and just try to find out, um you know, what, what she has to offer for the industry. I think we're all looking for solutions and we're all, there's a lot of talking heads out there, but people really need to, to start diving in. And whether that turns into a national portal for, for information, maybe that's going to be helpful. Um, you know, and, and I think that whoever's out there doing it, I, I think we just need to get started on, on something that, that gets moving. The 24-7 is great. Asia has been doing that already. So it's just kind of matching Asia and their, their workforce and their um, how they handle things. But like I said, it's got to be the rest of the, the supply chain system of the U.S. And that isn't just at the port. That's going to be throughout the whole system. Um, so, you know, whether that's a freight strategy of, of a, a digital portal or, or what, um, you know, I think I think it's It'll be interesting to see, Anne. It'll be interesting to see where we yeah. go from here. Yeah, I, I know some people were disappointed. John Conrad from G-Captain, especially yeah. disappointed that we didn't get someone in there with experience. Um, we didn't get him. Maybe we should have got Captain uh, John Conrad. That, that would have been, been my vote. Con Captain yeah. John Conrad, five. Yeah. I'd miss his coverage I mean, on G-Captain, but I think he'd do a great job. Uh, Lauren, we do have to get to another guest now, but for people who want to connect with you in the meantime and get some of your legal side coverage of this, where should we send them to? Sure. So I have a legal consulting company, Squall Strategies. We're actually taking new clients. Uh, we do federal regulatory analysis, consultations on potential regulatory impacts to your business. You know, the China tariff and trades are starting to come back into discussion. Um, FMC mock audits, reviews, really anything that you need. <laughs> Lauren, what's the website? I gotta, Lauren, what's the website? SquallStrategies.com. Squallstrategies.com. <laughs> I don't mean to dong you, but the, the Oscar music is playing. Thank that you. That was gong worthy. That was gong worthy. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. Have a great, have a great day. Thanks, nice guys. one. Thank you. Uh, right on. Hey, you know, our next guest, our next guest went to the University of Missouri, where I, oh, when okay. I was looking this up, a couple notable people went there. Right. Cheryl Crow, musician, Chris Cooper, uh, Kate Capshaw, she's the actress in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, oh, yeah. and uh, Tom Berenger. It's uh, Elizabeth Simpkin. She's a regional underwriting officer for Inland Marine Transportation at Travelers, and today she's going to tell us a little bit about contracts and risk, I believe. So thank you for joining us today, Elizabeth. Elizabeth? I don't know. Well, well, we wait for her sound to get up. I got yeah. a question for you. Okay, I've been me. seeing something, and just let us know when she's back in production. Um, 
I've been looking at what you've been posting on LinkedIn. You're starting to make these sustainable guitar picks, right? Yeah. Out of sea plastic you found. Yeah. So you're kind of like your side hustle now. Yeah. Kind you're of, becoming yeah. a shipper yourself. I am. Yeah. I am. So tell me a little bit about these guitar picks. So these guitar picks are made out of 100% reclaimed uh, uh, ocean plastic or, or ocean-bound plastic, right? And then right now it's coming out of South Africa is where they're coming, coming out of. And they're from these micro-recycling plants out there that uh, they have uh, the different communities throughout South Africa are collecting in the uh, waterways and out of the harbors there in, in Durban. And then they're, uh, it's being cleaned and, and machined into uh, engineered guitar picks, also guitar hooks and capos. Oh, wow. Yeah, so absolutely. What was, so I, I remember a while ago we had this company on, uh, what was it, Poly? Po yeah, uh, uh, Pollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood was on, and they made these outdoor lawn chairs and Ariondac chairs, Adirondack chairs, yes. out of recycled plastic. Was I've got this, a couple of those. Was that kind of the precursor that led you into this? this, this it it was. I, well, it, yeah, it, it really was. It was. It was that. And what can I do? And uh, I love music. I'm a musician. Uh, love it, and wanted to do something. I started looking for these type of things that are out there that uh, people are already making. Couldn't find any of that type of stuff. And uh, doing some research, ran across these guys in South Africa that are not only doing that, but they're employing in impoverished communities to do it and building entrepreneurs, zero money down entrepreneurs out of this. So what is the, uh, what's the long-term goal with the uh, site you're putting together? Uh, just to, to move these plastics and help employ more or more people throughout uh, difficult uh, or impoverished communities, underserved communities, uh, and clean and eventually uh, prevent plastics from getting into the ocean completely. Get a, a, a true circular plastics economy. Now, the question people are going to ask is, how do they pick up? How do they work, right? You need the picks. There are, is it going to affect my guitar playing? Are they going to strum fine? Is the weight good? All of that kind of stuff. Where are we at? Yeah, so there's three different weights right now. The, the mill, or mm -hmm. thickness of them right now, and the design of them, uh, they got a nice curve to them, 65-degree angle with a flat face and stuff like that. So it's uh, 0.81 and 1.5 mil is what these, these are right now, and they're being tested by musicians in South Africa and here right now. So uh, right now, the feedback is these are excellent picks. Now, how did, so remember we were talking to Spillbully. Spillbully was on this show, yeah. maybe, what was it, like two weeks ago, they were on, and we were talking about uh, the oil spill out in Southern California. He's got sure. the Spillbully, he's out there sucking up the stuff. And we asked him where he would source the innards of those, and he said Tafiti is where he got the, the, the volcanic ash. Where do you source all this plastic from? So it's coming right now. It's 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 coming from South Africa, around Africa, a little yeah. bit out of Europe right now, right? But it's expanding to other island nations or two island nations, the uh, the Caribbean uh, right now. The Caribbean is looking into this type of stuff right now. The Caribbean doesn't have any recycling. Most of the islands in the Caribbean don't, like the USVI. There is no recycling, and they've got plastic uh, a plenty, three hundred fifty thousand tons some a year being thrown out there with no recycling whatsoever. Wow. So, what, like, how do they get? You just buy like a big container of them, or or they manufacture these overseas and send them to you? How does how does that process work? So, they, yeah. So the so the plastic the picks are made overseas right now. Eventually, they'll be in the U.S. But right now, they're overseas because what they're doing now, this company that I'm, I'm, that is sourcing these from OPT Ocean Plastic Technologies. Uh, part of their issue is they, they make micro-recycling plants out of ocean containers. Mm. Uh, so it, it, it does link into the supply chain as well through there, right? So they're making the micro-recycling plants out of old uh, uh, ocean containers. And they're mobile. So they're, what they're doing is trying to reduce the uh, carbon footprint of plastic as well. Like in the U.S., a piece of plastic before it's actually recycled, once you put it in that bin, will travel up to 200 to 250 miles before it actually gets recycled. Wow. These get recycled right there on the spot into to the flake that then goes to manufacturing in a local to be built. So they're reducing the carbon cycle as well. 
plus most of the shorelines and the issues where plastic is 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 littering the shorelines, people aren't there. Yeah. Right, so uh, they have to be mobile. So they're also working with NOAA and and some other people with drone technology to predict where the plastic is going to be, and then lifting these containers onto those you know, uninhabited uh, shorelines and collecting and recycling that plastic there. Those are the plastics that we're making the picks and the capos and soda out of. Wow, we need uh, so yeah. take, make sure to keep us along for this journey too. Yeah, this absolutely. Is, this is pretty fascinating what you're yep. doing, and we've covered this this stuff before. Um, speaking of speaking of sustainability, speaking of reducing the amount of fuel used and all those kind of things, we have Gail Campbell Andreas with uh, with us here now. She's with Truck Sale Inc., which is a really incredible, unique product. Gail, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Hey, what's your favorite book on that bookshelf behind you? Oh. <laughs> Oh, hey, you know what? I actually have the Freight Waves uh, first publication that you did, you know, back in like (laughs) 2018. Um, You know what? Okay, to be honest, um, there's a really good book by um, Professor Roger Pilkey Jr. He's out of um, the University of Colorado at Boulder. So he's great because he talks about um, decarbonization. As I said, the the book is called The The Carbon Fix. And uh, he, he says, we've got to start somewhere. Uh, we, he emphasizes, you know, doing something. He says, you need uh, all technologies on the table. Don't start taking technologies off. Uh, if you're looking for um, um, electronic uh, or electric vehicles, you want to make sure that you have fuel efficiency. And so that's where truck sale comes in. That um, right off the bat, you don't have to think about, you know, what kind of um, fuel you're going to be using or what kind of power you're going to be using. You want you want your devices, you want your, uh, your your trailers, your trucks to be efficient. So so our products are fuel efficient products. Thanks. Yeah. So that's our, our boat tail. It's called the tail sail. And you can see that it is um, deploying automatically. So you can set the speed at which um, it's going to uh, deploy. So you'll then see it fully deployed, which is what it would look like at highway speed. So, so Gail, can you can you go into that a little bit more? Because I found that to be really part of the really interesting story about what you guys doing there with the sail and the skirts, et cetera. Is that automatic setting that speed? Because there's different reasons for that to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. So the idea is that um, you you want to make sure that, uh, like for example, the the skirts. You want to have maneuverability when you're in the cities, when you're at the docking ramps. So you want to have your your trailer skirts um, uh, re, uh, retracted and you want them deployed at highway speed so you can maximize your fuel efficiency. And for the boat tail, you want to have, um, again, you know, uh, easy use for the drivers and um, easy functionality. And you want to make sure that um, they are fully deployed at highway speed to, to maximize fuel efficiency. It's a it's a difficult uh, situation because y- y- you've you've got the the drivers needing to to access the the trailer doors at the end of a long drive, so you don't want them to to have a lot of uh, fuss and bother. So you want everything to be very easy for the driver. So you have that automatic deployment uh, um, and an automatic retraction. You set the speed yourself. We um, use a, um, a, a motor uh, linear actuator to, for, these, uh, th- for the deployment and retraction process. 
And uh, we've been working with um, uh, a local college on this project. It's Mohawk College. And uh, I pitched an idea a couple of years ago to see if we could turn uh, truck sale products from a straight-up manufactured product because we had these working through um, ram air pressure originally without this without a linear um, actuator involved. But we we uh, pitched this idea to the local college. We were successful in that pitch. We got funding from the Ontario Centres of Excellence for this feasibility study, which was successful. Uh, we, the, the project also included safety sensors, which we can get to a, get to in a minute. Yeah, Gil, let's slow down uh, for a second. Let's slow down. Where did the idea for this come from? This is a pretty unique product. I haven't. I don't think I've seen. Have you seen anything like this before? No, I don't no, think not that the I automated, and certainly not this cool. Not a yeah. video where I went, "Wow, that's cool." So, who, 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 what dark recess of the mind did this come from, and uh, when did you decide to put this in action? Okay, so that's a good question. Actually, um, so my research scientific research partner and business partner is also my husband Paul Andrus and uh, we both studied chemical engineering at the University of Waterloo years ago and the scientific foundation of the um, of the aerodynamic part of the project is an area called fluid dynamics and actually Paul was just looking out the window one day and he saw a, a, a tractor trailer combination and he thought that's a lot of drag uh, and he wondered if the industry was addressing it. So he started looking into it and he came up with this, uh, with something different than the panel style skirts. I mean, they didn't even have skirts back then. We started out with a right. boat tail. And he's, he was looking at, at it and he thought of all of the sort of specific specifications that were required uh, by the trucking industry. Like the, it had to be easy, no fuss for the drivers. It had to be very durable, even in, um, you know, um, harsh weather conditions like snow, ice, sleet. So he came up with this, uh, what is called a 3D enclosed design. And uh, it uses ram air pressure um, so as the as the trailer as the truck and trailer uh, pick up speed along the highway, mm -hmm. the 3D device is actually pressurized. So they're like a, a children's bouncy castle. They're that firm, and even in crosswinds, which can be quite destabilizing for for the truck and trailer, that actually helps to stabilize that it the 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 pressure is increased. So you have that firm, stable device on the trailers. Awesome. So, so you, you know, Waterloo is like the uh, Silicon Valley of Ontario. Right? Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, a lot of, a lot of tech out there in Waterloo. I, I, I know I'm right there, Gail, but so this, the skirt though, I was looking at that skirt in the, in it. So the speed does it right. So uh, safety at railroad crossings, right? We had rail safety on and talking yeah. about those different things, right? So it comes Absolutely. up and when you pull into a yard or whatever, all these things start to collapse. So like you said, no fuss and no, no bother, but I've never seen that before. It's all mechanical. The driver has to get out. It's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, it is great. It is brilliant. And that's why, you know, I thought I, I really encouraged Paul like for the first one he was working on. I said, you've got to patent this and, and introduce it to the industry. And of course, one thing led to another and we did more and more work on it. And um, I couldn't really find anybody to any company that could uh, could could make the prototypes. So finally, I said, okay, I'm going to do it myself. But I just, you, you talked about the skirts, and I want to emphasize one of the really great things about the fact that they ride low to the road. So that's the expression you use. So they, they um, retract 
in the uh, city or at, at docking ramps, but then they they deploy when they are at highway speed so that you are actually maximizing the fuel efficiency of that product. You're getting as much as you can. The general scientific principle is to completely cover as much as you can the, the um, area from wheel to wheel and trailer to road. So the expression is they, they ride close to the road. But a couple of years ago, I saw this study by the IIHS, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, and they mm -hmm. were trying to address the safety issue of underride collisions where you had cars or even like people, uh, like pedestrians, cyclists, motorcyclists in, in an under in an underride situation. So they tried sort of, if I could call it a brute force um, type of approach where they had sa uh, steel safety struts to, to prevent that underride collision. Uh, so, or access. So what ours do is they, they actually ride close enough that you, to the road, even when they are retracted in the city situation to largely prevent those underride collisions. So you have the physical barrier. You have a physical barrier there that the industry has been looking for. And then part of the project that we did with Mohawk College was to uh, see if we could embed safety sensors into these, um, into these sails. So the advantage there is that you've got um, the 3D design is uh, uh, providing a housing uh, uh, to keep these sensors away from the elements, away from weather. So that's one thing. But the second thing is that uh, the ram air pressures um, is very stable. It prevents vibration. And that's crucial when you have sensors. So it's, we've got the, the safety from the physical barrier, and we have the ability to embed safety sensors into our sails. Now, Gail, we have about... Now, the, the one disappointing there is I try to do the action movie thing where I try to slide under the car. I think the truck sail may get in the way. But mm -hmm. I want, we have about two minutes left in this segment, and I want to make sure we, we hit on this one before I let you go. Yeah. You're a Freight Tech 100 voter, right? The awards are coming oh, out. What kind, of, what kind of criteria are you looking for this year? What do you think is important in Freight Tech that would move someone to the top? Oh, well, um, this year was different because of COVID, I have to say. Um, be, and so um, some of the companies talked about surviving and, 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 and um, seeing if they could move forward, uh, even, even in spite of the, the difficulties of the year. So um, I'm, I'm really keen on innovation, I have to say. And innovation can occur in the tech area, looking for new customer, customers, those sorts of uh, those sorts of things. Um, looking for um, you know qu you know quality of, of of product and and I guess customer service. Always looking to to prioritize customer service because ultimately um, the the customer um, you know has to be kept in mind. So so those are the sorts of things. And I also you know what I let the the companies tell their story. And and see how convincing that is. So those are the sorts of things. Well, that I maybe you'll at. vote for yourself. I don't know if that's even if that's even allowed or not in the uh, <laughs> the tabular. It's, it's totally allowed. You can actually nominate yourself. <laughs> so I guess you could vote for yourself. Can I just say that one final thing for our products is that okay. we actually we can actually put in a projector to allow for um, mobile advertising. Oh yeah. Oh, digital, yeah, yeah. Cool. digital advertising. So the idea is that you're in a sense de well, You better put a what the truck ad on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to see what the truck is. Where's that? I'm going to let you give this free pitch here. 
<laughs> I will totally do that. All right. <laughs> Take a picture of us. Gil, we'll be in touch soon. I do have to jump over to uh, another guest now. We appreciate your time. Everyone go check out truckcell.com yeah, for man. this great uh, technology. We enjoyed we enjoyed your time, Gail. Don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on soon. Yeah. Thank you very much. She's, she's psyched about it. She's she's passionate. All right. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Simpkins has oh, yeah. connected back in. So we have Regional Underwriting okay. Officer for Inland Marine Transport at Travelers, and we now will find out about some contractual risk transfer. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So good to be here. Absolutely. So, hey, welcome back to the show. Our audience would love to know a little bit more about your background and, and uh, your role there at Travelers. Sure. So I've been sent, uh, at Traveler since 2012, and most of that time has been within the transportation line of business. In my role today, I work with field underwriters, and I help them with their cargo business, kind of pricing it, account structure, all that good stuff, and help train and coach them in that space. Well, tell us a little bit about contractual risk transfer. That's a little bit above my pay grade. So uh, <laughs> yeah, let me too. know and, and us in the audience about what goes on there. Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about risk transfer and how it applies to motor carrier liability, what we're really thinking of is we're looking at Carmack Amendment first, which uh, most of us know the U.S. code that's regulating motor carrier liability for interstate movement of goods. And to be technical, that's 49 U.S. Code subsection 14706. Uh, but basically what it does, it makes the trucker strictly liable for all damage to the goods that it transports subject to some defenses, if proven, and that helps protect the motor carrier. And those defenses are acts of God, public enemy, public authority, inherent vice of the goods, or act or omission of the shipper. So you have that. But beyond CARMAC, a trucker can enter into these specific contracts with shippers that are going to alter the terms of the liability one way or the other. So they can limit it or, in some cases, expand it. Um, and that could even mean waiving CARMAC entirely. And beyond that, even, a tariff can also be imposed to reduce liability on the trucker. Uh, these outline how much a motor carrier will pay for loss or damage, and they usually limit it to, like, a per-pound valuation, something like that. We yeah. don't see those as much as we once did, but they're effective when they're used. Yeah, so, Liz, uh, Elizabeth, can you give us a couple of, a couple few examples of these uh, limiting factors that take you away from Carmack? Absolutely. Uh, from a limitation standpoint, Contracts can be used to actually cap a loss, so you can actually apply a maximum dollar amount that you'll pay for a shipment, or they can define a type of loss that they're not going to be liable for, like theft or water damage, for instance, or ones that we've seen uh, in the past. There's also language that you can inject around when liability assumption begins. Um, you know, shippers may put a clause into the contract. Um, a trucker usually thinks they're not liable until they hook something but that chipper might put something in that expands that assumption. So in particular now, our supply chain, as you guys know, is overwhelmed. And loads may be sitting before the trucker can actually get there. So you have to think, does the contract make them liable once it's loaded and they've been notified they need to come get it, but before they physically hook it? So that's a consideration. Wow. Some other common examples are loading and unloading. You know, is the trucker responsible for that, or is that on the shipper or the consignee to do? And then broken seals. That's a hot topic, right? Motor carriers are not liable for a broken seal by itself because that alone doesn't constitute a loss. However, if your contract is ordered to make them liable for the load simply because that seal is broken or missing, 
they may have taken on more liability than they intended. And that carrier may need something like a broken seal coverage for that relationship. Interesting. Okay, so what should our audience take away from this discussion? So what we're just, in light of what we were just talking about, it's, it's really important, really, to review existing contracts, especially in the environment we're in now that's changing so quickly. Uh, knowing what your contractual obligations are, lining those up with your insurance coverage is key. And I would suggest, you know, having someone who's qualified to review legal documents take a look or provide you guidance if you aren't sure where to start. It's never a bad idea. Um, you know, as for travelers, we like to speak with our clients about their contracts, and we want them to help understand how the policy we have with them will respond to the liability they assume. Got it. Better protect your business with contractual risk transfer. Yeah, absolutely. Go to Travelers.com to learn more. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We appreciate having you on today. Thank you, guys. Take care. Take it easy. Take okay. Care. With more than 1,500 maintenance bays offering light mechanical services and DOT inspections, oh, yeah. Love's Truck Care and Speedco are invested in getting your drivers back on the road quickly and safely. Learn more at Tell Them, Dude. Hey, go to loves.com right let's after see a, the show. Let's see a truck driver appreciation video from our next guest. Oh, yeah. Roll the tape. What does it take to be a truck driver? It takes a high level of dedication a steady hand, and a solid resolve. The ability to withstand the pressures inherent with this line of work. The determination to be the best at what you do. One needs to be decisive in his or her actions. because it can be the difference between life and death. These giants of the highway are punished day in and day out, hauling most everything that you can imagine. And the drivers that pilot them are some of the best operators on the entire planet. <laughs> it's James S. Crowley, creative director at Texas Media Foundry. This is a gentleman I've been watching for uh, geez, a, l- a little while now as he's been building this business. And um, he has a media house that sort of specializes in filling truck videos like that. But we'll hear it in his own words. James, thanks for joining us on the show. Dooner and the dude, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to come on today. Yeah, man. Well, that vi- so first of all, that video was great. I love yeah. the uh, I love the cinematography. It wasn't flat at all. Nice depth of field, nice color saturation, all the kind of already kind of things you want in there that sometimes um, our industry has not been the best at. Like our industry tends yeah. to be very flat with their graphics sure. and their videos and things like that. It's a truck. It's a just film. Just film it, right? No, you're yeah. putting a little art and style into it. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do over there. Well, it, it really all started a long time ago with one of these little snapshot camera 16 years ago and uh, moved up from there. Um, I got a little congestion, so pardon me. <clears throat> but... Um, no, we, uh, you know, I've got a background in trucking. I've been in the industry 24 some odd years, 20 some odd of it, uh, driving. And 
like anybody else, you know, at the end of the day, you go into the truck stop and, you know, uh, back before like really the smartphones, you'd have your driver app magazines, whatnot. And they all had same look and same promises and everything else. And then Facebook and Twitter and everything else came along and, you know, you'd scroll and you'd see different, uh, print ad, you know, I say print like static image ads and a few videos here and there. And I just like to try to make trucking look cooler, I guess you could say, um, Some some companies are, are down with it and they say, hey, come on, we want you to make X, you know, whatever it is. Um, not everybody's necessarily bought into it and that's okay. Yeah, so James, I love what you do. I love the, I love some of the other videos that I've seen yeah. as well, uh, and and I love it. And now I understand where where it came from. Where you know your love of video and stuff. Is there an altruistic type of nature to this too? I mean, what we just saw was driver appreciation, and man, those sentiments. I agree with them one hundred percent. As does Dooner, and does a lot of people in the U.S. when they're thinking about it, right? Uh, is, is part of this to bring that to light, to honor these heroes and these machines, really. I think that's part of your love, too, is the machines. Obviously, that comes across. Oh, for sure. I mean, every driver's got a story. Um, and, I mean, everybody's got a story. But uh, drivers, all different walks of life. Uh, me, personally, I was not uh, part of a trucking family. Uh, oh, my uncle, he owned a, an old Brockway that he pulled a bulldozer around with. But that was really it. Um you know, some guys third, fourth generation in trucking and everybody's got a different angle, a different view. Um, you know, independent drivers, owner operators and whatnot. Those are all usually some pretty good, uh, stories to get. But, you know, when it comes to like the company side of things, sometimes they say, okay, here's our list of questions we want you to ask. Here's, you know, and they're, and they're prepped. Um, but a lot of times I try to tell them, just say what's on your mind. Tell me your story. Tell me what you love. Tell me what you don't like about the industry in general, because that just gives me that much more content than I can take and put into something that somebody's going to resonate with. And more, more importantly, somebody's going to share. I mean, that's, I mean, look, as a producer on the show here, that's what I always try to advise. They don't always listen, but I always try to yeah. advise guests. Don't write your answers down. Don't read your answers. Everyone's going to get to hear it. And you're not speaking from the heart. You know, a script is not the heart. A script is your, is off the dome, right? Yeah. yeah. You got to have a little love and a little passion. You got to. This is a business of passion. It, it, and, and you can even see it in the way that you're filming these trucks. They're filmed almost like, like they're models or action heroes. They're stars of the picture. Yeah. I mean, the... That's, that's just it. Um, I don't necessarily go after the cleanest truck. Well, I'm doing the independent stuff, like the this is what I want to shoot kind of stuff. I, you know, companies definitely want the cleanest Mac or the cleanest Peterbilt or whatever, the, and, and that's fine. But like that driver appreciation video there, there's some guys I know from about 10 miles down the road that, uh, um, you know, their equipment isn't the shiniest, the cleanest. I want to see realism. I want to see, you know, the real and raw of it. This is this is the video we're showing that that video that Peter built right there. Did you do this off the cuff? Is this is this one of your freelance type of things that you did? And and if so, did Peter built like immediately call you and say, "Dude, we need to hire you to do a lot more" because this is a killer video. Well, that sixty nine Pete right there, actually one of the guys that was in the driver appreciation video that you started off with. That's his truck. He pulled it out of a field. I don't know about hundred miles from here, and I honestly don't know if he's done anything with it. And this video's. I don't know, about two years old. Peterbilt hasn't reached out. Um, you know, I tag them occasionally, but <laughs> never, never heard anything on the <laughs> official about it. Well, maybe now that you've been on here, uh, they, they will. We tend to rouse some hen houses once in a while around this place. Um, I'd love to send some more business your way because I think you do a fantastic job. How do people reach out and connect with you and learn more? 
Well, the best way to do it is either txfoundry.com or uh, if you type in either at Texomatic or at txfoundry on Twitter or uh, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, you'll 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 find me. You'll find us. There's a there's a whole gang in the back back there chopping away and pushing pixels and making things look good. And <laughs> they push me out to the front here to to do this today. They're like, Mr. Crowley, don't tell what the truck your name. <laughs> Thank you, sir. A little countdown you for go. you. <laughs> I don't know. Is he an Aussie? Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Mr. Crowley. I love it. No, you know, I get it. I get it. Osborne? All right. Yes, yes, yes. All right. All right. All right. Look, it's a great resignation. Everybody's leaving their job. Inflation's up 5.4%. If you haven't, true. If you haven't gotten a raise, you're all taking a pay cut out there. How do you like right. eating that piece of cake? Right? So let's talk to Brent. <laughs> Osorga from Pinnacle Growth Advisors to find out how you can get paid more money. Should you stay with your company? Should you go out in the market? What's going on out there? Brett, what's doing? Hey, good, uh, good to be here with you guys. I appreciate you having us. So <laughs> what do you think, man? Should uh, it, now It's a great time to be labor, right? Everyone's looking to fill labor across there. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a truck driver, warehouse, all the way up to the C-suite, and in between, people are trying to fill roles all over the place. And the problem is that as people come in the back door, in the front door, everyone's going out the back door, too, because they're going to chase <laughs> those bonuses and those higher salaries that you can get in this market right now. That's so right. what's it like out there for uh, recruits? Insanity. So I have done recruiting for 20 years, the last 12 solely in this industry, but this is like nothing I've ever seen before. But I'll tell you the most interesting thing that we've noticed here in 2021 is if you think about freight at the moment, you don't have to sell it as much as service it. So for the first time, you've seen these operationally driven roles at the forefront, right? So think about traditional brokerage. So you have carrier sales, account management, customer success. Like for the first time in a long time, those positions are in such demand. Because here's the thing. If you look at like sales, the reality is companies are struggling so much just to service what they have that for the time being, those traditional like call it mid-tier sales roles kind of went away for a minute. So it's almost like enterprise sales is really hot. And then those operations. But the demand is like nothing we've ever seen. It's pure insanity. So, Brett, I was actually I was reading a great article about uh, used cars. So, like the same thing is happening in used cars and sales across the world. Yeah, things are right. moving fast. In freight, though, like I have, you and I both have had the benefit of working in sales and operations. Yes. Would you recommend? Because I personally would recommend to recruits out there if they're in sales to maybe consider using this time to jump in an operational role. You're going to get probably a better salary than the in previous years that you would have, and you're going to get some great experience while you move through this. And sales is one of those jobs you can always easily jump back into. But now you get some ops experience, which ultimately could move you into that enterprise level. Would you? Would you agree with that, Brent? I think that if you get into ops, it's just going to make you more dangerous if you do decide to get into sales because you kind of know what happens behind the scenes. You start to understand what people are looking for from the client side. So I agree 100%. Plus, you know, I relate a lot of things back to sports, right? So this is nothing different than free agency. And when the market is hot and in your favor is the exact time that you owe it to yourself to be able to go out there and test the market, see what's out there. And now the grass is not always greener. But I'll tell you, when it's something like this, you really, really do owe it to yourself to take those calls. 
So, Brent, let me ask you this, and I agree with you 100%. Get out there and get that operational experience. It serves you greatly yeah. in almost every industry, and especially in trucking where their BS meters are really, really sure. sensitive, right? They're very, very sensitive. You, you need lot. to know what the hell you're doing, and you learn, you learn a lot. So, But let me ask you this, Brent. In this time, you say you owe it to yourself to go out and test the waters. Has there been a reduction in the quality of the candidates that are out there looking for jobs because of that? Are you advising me, hey, you need to stay put where you're at there, or, or is the quality of looking for uh, people if, if you're looking to hire people, is it high quality? Well, he's because he mentioned free agency, but think sure. about it. Most people are in right to work states. Most sure. of us are not under in any contract right. whatsoever. We are a free agent every single day that we sure. walk into the office. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we've seen is the demand for what I'm going to call plug and play, right? So traditionally, traditionally, excuse me, if you think about the bigger brokerages, right, the Arrives, the TQLs, uh, the Nolans, there's been a lot of these companies that have uh, kind of built a model around new people. They've gone to the colleges, they brought mm-hmm. these people in, they teaching them freight 101. But if you think about it, that kind of went away for the moment because it's so hard to onboard people. If you're doing that remotely, it makes it even more challenging. So this is within the industry where the demand for people doing exactly the role companies are hiring for went 10x. And that's why companies like myself within the recruiting space got so busy as well, because everyone's coming to us being like, God, we need that role. We need that person right away. We don't have time to train them and get them up to speed. Everyone is so busy that the mindset of teaching them about the industry is like the last thing that they're focused about. They need what they need and they need it right now. But Brent, like going back to the sports analogy, where are the franchise tags? Like, are you talking to a lot of recruits? Because I have done like my own informal ones and I've asked the people I know who've switched jobs and I'm like, hey, just out of curiosity, did your company like approach you and say, hey, we know the market's better. We're going to give you X. Were they in any way whatsoever proactive? And I only one of them said, yeah, but I really like the other role better. All the other ones were like, no, I, the recruiters are beating down my door. I'm getting these better offers. Yeah. I mean, I, why go challenge the company to ask them for more money? I like the opportunities there. What are you hearing from recruits? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy how, I mean, there's been some big logos this year that have lost some really good talent. And even from my standpoint, it kind of amazes me that they let these people walk out the door. Mm. I mean, everyone focuses on recruiting, but so many people do not focus on retention. It's so hard to get new people in the door. Why are you not fully embracing and giving whatever the people you do have who are entrenched into your system, know your, know your clients, taking care of them? You never just let good talent walk out the door. And honestly, it's become pretty easy for us this year because it's a pay-to-play model and companies are willing to step up, provide better salaries, less saturation. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. But it's kind of been amazing to me how easy it is for us to kind of pull some people out of certain companies. Well, it makes his job easier, too, because you just like you have just such a selling point. You can say to anybody right now, look, it's been out there. Five point four percent inflation. If you don't at least test the market now, you're missing out and you're making less money than you were the year before. This is a moment in time for labor that a lot of people can really upgrade their circumstance, upgrade their wealth. And like you said, with, if you're not putting those franchise tags out, if you have nobody at the back door or you're waiting until they reach you at the back door, the problem is by the time they come to you, they already have an offer with somebody else. They've already gotten that effort and they're probably like, you know what? They they did not put any effort into me. So why would I stay? Yeah. Now, and then you got to go through an onboarding and recruiting and it's, it slows you down too. When you bring in yeah. <laughs> new people, the, the time it takes to get production and everything ramped up, be it sales flow, be it management flow, any of that kind of thing, it takes months. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and counter offers are very real. This has actually happened out there. I'll give you guys a prime example. This is no joke. There was an individual that I spoke with who was going to be more like an enterprise seller. 
She was making 67 base. I got her 90 base, which is already a big jump and kind of what we're known for. She went in to put in her notice and the company gave her $110,000 to stay put. So just by going through the process, which again, I can go down the counteroffer scenario all day long, but she got a $40,000 raise just for walking out the door. Now, that's a tricky dynamic, guys, right? Because you should not be worth more out the door than when you're busting your butt the week before. But this is the reality of what's going on out there. Now, I don't advise people to go out there and get offers and use it for leverage and anything like that. But this is what companies are having to do to retain their talent. If they would have proactively just approached this individual, they probably could have gotten away with paying half of that. Prime example of this situation. Brett, last question for you before we have to go here. If you are with a company now, you want to test the market, but you really like your company too. You want to stay. How would you recommend a pr- people who are already in the house approaching management that they're, you know, they're, they're aware of inflation, those kind of things, and they want to see their salary reflect the market? I mean, here's the thing. You don't ask, you don't get, right? Mm-hmm. People just need to be able to step up, communicate, understand that these companies are usually pretty receptive to that. In this market, I don't think you're going to get shot down as much as you think. But now here's one thing. It's one thing to ask for a raise. It's another thing to come with almost a case study of why you deserve it. So if I'm a candidate, I'm actually preparing something of my work, of my track record, of history that I've done there, and why I feel worthy of that raise, not just asking to ask. Mm. Very good advice. How do people connect with uh, Pinnacle? Yeah, so I think everyone has kind of seen us on LinkedIn, myself included. That's the easiest way to kind of track down myself. Anyone on our team, go to our website. But we're moving more people than ever before, and uh, it's crunch time in Q4. So now's the time to have these conversations. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your advice today. Excellent stuff. Yeah, that was a big deal. And now it's time for a little big deal, little deal. Big deal. Little deal. What do we got going on? On it. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Freight blimps. Do we have a picture of these things? Freight blimps. There's one. Oh, yeah. uh, hold on. Just keep that one up for now. Freight blimps founded in 2012 <laughs> by Flying Wheels is developing a 150 meter long airship with a rigid frame that'll be capable of carrying as much as 60 tons of cargo. And you look at that. It's, it's fixing the shipping crisis. It's going to that steamship there. Uh, here's the thing. 60 tons of cargo is 240. So an accurate yeah. render mm-hmm. right there. They also say it can clean, can fix clean energy. Let's take a look at that picture. Look at this, flying oh, right towards those. Check do you it think out. that might blow it away? Yeah, I think that's or, a different. I think he's coming in at the wrong angle. Or if it sucks it in, this might happen. Yeah, sucking it in is probably. Get this started. Get this started. <laughs> it's, it's rising. It's rising terrible. Oh my! Get out of the way. Oh wow. man! All the humanity. All, All right. The so what humanity. Do you think? Big deal, little deal. You think these freight blimps are going to solve the shipping crisis? I think it's a really big little deal. Because they're huge, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the original thing, like they said, for, for getting to remote areas, lumber and stuff like that, I could see it for moving heavy equipment and stuff like that in yeah. there. I can see a use there. Uh, taking containers off a ship when Gene Soroka goes out there and says, hey, these got toys on them. Dooner needs yeah. his Legos. Not so much. Doesn't work that way. Not and so the, much. The, the containers aren't even put that way. No. It, the one thing, I, I think that you and I will take, when, when there's a pitch that's like super unrealistic, like there's like this is obviously like, yeah, maybe medical supplies to remote places. Yeah. But when they show this, or sometimes they show drones. I'm not saying all drones. Sometimes they'll be drones. And they'll be like, well, it could do this. This is part of the TAM, because we want the TAM in there. We want to address the market. And right, right, it's right, like, right, that's right. not going to do that. This is not going to do it at all. We're calling BS here. I'm yeah, calling okay, BS. Yeah, I'm calling BS. I'm with you. I'm calling you BS. You know what's cool, though? I, so this made me look up the Hindenburg, though. And I thought that everyone died in Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got I some thought, good stats on there. I thought everyone died in that. So there was, uh, but only 36 people did. 
Only so there were 62 survivors and 35 fatalities. So more people actually survived the Hindenburg that died. And only died. one no dude idea. on the ground. Only what? Only one dude on the ground. Oh yeah, with the flames and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all things considered, it could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. I can't believe. Not that. to minimize the Hindenburg. Sorry, that, like, no, I mean not to minimize yeah. it at all. But man, twenty-three out of thirty-nine. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Hey, let's let's do this. Let's take a look at this according to Summit Fire and EMS. A summit, a semi truck lost its brake coming down at an icy descent, right in mm-hmm. the Eisenhower Tunnel. It clipped and spun a jeep. It flipped over on its side. It was full of beer. Wow, <laughs> it was full of beer, and uh, you know, hey. Is this a big deal or a little deal here, brother? Well, let's watch this. So they're unloading the truck. Look at these guys. So the firemen start a a nice line. They got the water line. Dude, they're getting it done. They got a conga line going, man. This guy's great. This is looking great. This is looking efficient. No trouble so far. Did they say what kind of beer it was? It's Coors. It's Coors? Yeah. All right. Well. You know, I don't drink anymore, but when I did, I... Oh, 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 what is he? Oh, what just happened? That's, that's the big deal. There's the big deal. Oh, there was just a complete breakdown in communication and passing <laughs> the, the beer over there. Yeah, I'll say that that's not a, a huge deal. No, um, probably not, but it's funny. How about this one? This show is coming back. Take a look. Get ready to witness some amazing ship. Come on, Mama. We got a deadline. Shipping Wars is back and bigger than ever. Serious? With more money to be made. More work, more money. And deliveries expected in the snap. Time to get dino dropped off. These shippers have a long road ahead. Who will come out on top? If we can get it there on time, we'll make some good money. Strap in for a wild ride on Shipping Wars. Series returns Tuesday, November 30th at 10. Only on A&E. All right, six years without Shipping Wars. It's back now. What do you think? I, I think it's a big deal myself because we need the levity and we need the entertainment. And I love that. I mean, these guys, these guys, they're like the tiger kings of shipping these people, right? They're not the brightest bulbs on the, on the planet. And that's what makes it really, really entertaining. Oh, well, I like it, it too because as a producer, it's going to give us plenty of ideas for people moving oh, forward. Yeah. Great, cool projects that we could bring Shoot. onto this show. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. Let your freak, freak flag fry, uh, <laughs> fry, fly, A&D. Or whatever. Yes. <laughs> so here's one. Fox 31 reports a suspect who stole a U-Haul calls police and asks the deputies to stop chasing him. Oh. So 1.40 a.m., I don't know if that's an indication, on Saturday, Adams County Sheriff's deputies located a stolen U-Haul parked at a convenience store corner of Federal Boulevard and West 80th Avenue. Uh, and then the driver took off. And as he's driving away and they're following him, he calls 911 and says, hey, stop chasing me, man. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, Tuner? Uh, is this going to lead to other people being chased to call 911 to get them off their back or what? Uh, well, I, I'm still thinking, like, the last, when I moved a few months ago, I yeah. had a U-Haul and I had that giant jug of pickles that I, I got from I've Target. I've told people and, that story before. It's hilarious. And, and the, the thought, like, they got, there's the pickle juice got everywhere. And then, like, there was such a mad rush on uh, U-Hauls that the guy, like, jumped in it and he took yeah, off Yeah, with four gallons of pickle juice. <laughs> All I can say is that I hope that next time this guy steals a U-Haul, it's my pickle truck. <laughs> that guy who took it, he was like, he what if had he calls no idea. 911 asking for help because he's stuck inside this thing that stinks like pickles. He had no time to really clean. We like it was just it was like a one towel cleanup. So like that thing is gonna smell like pickles uh for forever. Yeah. Um that's awesome. Here's one Colorado. I, I Colorado, let's take a look at this picture. Colorado tied for state with fewest shark attacks. Uh Governor Jared Polis, he be boasted about this. When you reach for comment on Colorado's track record on shark attacks, Connor Cahal, uh he said uh, with the lowest obesity rate in the country. What a flex. Come on, Colorado. Yeah, Colorado's well, I mean, known for being healthy and lean, and sharks are known for not getting much of a meal here. Uh, is this a big deal or a little? Look, we're tied for first. I think, it, I, think it, I think the bigger deal is that uh, is that uh, Kentucky, uh, Illinois, uh, 
Missouri and New Mexico all have shark attacks. Yeah, how are even some of those landlocked? <laughs> Where do those shark <laughs> attacks come from? How do they even come? Did they come up the river like a bull shark? I don't know. Can when I get... looked in it, the one in New Mexico was actually somebody in an aquarium. Oh, got, got okay. It was that one, so I, I was know. watching um, Crimes Gone Viral on ID Discovery, and someone went to an aquarium with a stroller. Oh. Uh, the Atlanta Aquarium, and they reached into, you know where you can like, pet the shark? Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. reached in there, they took the shark out, and they put it in a shawl, and then they put it in <laughs> their stroller to move it out, and they poured bleach into another tank to create a diversion. It was oh. so not cool, man. It was still a shark, at least be, you know, don't try and kill the other fish. Oh, doing yeah, that is hey, cool. Hey, you can find me on Twitter, at Timothy Duda, that's D-O-O-N-E-R. You can find him at Vincent the Dude. Find the show wherever you get your podcast. Newsletter out tomorrow, freightways.com slash WTT. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere.